0: My mom gave me Snoopy Bedsheets. And it was the characters in a square, and they had some little saying over their head. Of course, the one that I remember the most is Lucy Van Pelt saying, I don't care if I'm popular or not, just so people like me. Whatever that means. Oh, no, 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 that was backwards. Back it up. Back it up. (laughs) Back the train up. You can edit this up. You can edit it, right? I could, but But. I won't. (laughs) (laughs) But Lucy Van Pelt, I just did the whole thing backwards. I ruined the joke. I hate myself.
1: Welcome to Drawing Funny. Where we talk tunes with some sketchy characters in the comics industry and fandom. I'm your host, Len Workman. If you heard our first episode, you know it went to the dogs. A Chaweenie, apparently. So why shouldn't our second episode go to the dogs, and ducks, and horses, and cows, and donkeys, and mules? This time we're going to talk about Muley the Mule and Friends with their creator, Kevin L. Williams. Kevin is the president of the Mid South Cartoonists Association. He's been drawing funny all his life, and he's drawn Muley and his friends all their lives. Muley just turned 40 this year, and for a cartoon mule, he doesn't look or act a day over eight. Kevin has also created and performed puppets of his own barnyard characters. Along with the puppet, he has a full-body costume of Muley that he's used for charity events and appearances to benefit the Ronald McDonald House of Memphis and promote the MSCA at conventions and group art shows. Kevin has even been a few different sports teams' mascots and he has the scars to prove it. Once, he was asked if he was a furry. Kevin replied back, No, just moderately hairy. I can relate. Kevin is an editor, artist, and writer as part of Team Toshigawa, and has helped produce the comic book series *Jetta: Tales of the Toshigawa, and most recently, the all-ages Shinobi Ninja Princess comics. I've known Kevin for about 20 years or so now, and he's not only been a friend and a collaborator, but my partner in crime and dance partner from time to time, which you'll learn about in our conversation as we catch the Katie and hop a boxcar with a briefcase full of blues. Oh, which reminds me, if you got a copy of the Blues Brothers 25th Anniversary Edition DVD, it's the one that has Jake and Elwood's mug shots on the cover, be sure to keep an eye out in the special features for the Memphis Blues Brothers, Linwood and Solomon Blues. They actually look a lot like us. All right, Kevin, I uh, appreciate you sitting down with me to talk about what inspired us as kids and, and what continues to inspire us these days.
0: Well, thank you for having me in your top secret studio uh, lair here. I think this will be a lot of fun, and, and i look forward to visiting with you and recording this thing.
1: Yeah, I hope you like trains. Oh, so. not at all.
0: <laughs> I think it's really funny that your studio is inside of a train, but, you know, it's always on the move, it's and doesn't get the you there. I always saw you more as a designer than an engineer, but okay. so chug away. Keep there. things
1: on track. Uh, What were your influences as a kid? Uh, Were you into, like, the Sunday funnies? Were you into, like, uh, Sesame Street or... What sort of things?
0: Well, it's funny that when I was a little kid, the first thing that really captured my attention, my mother used to put me in a, uh, a little stroller, uh, mainly because she could hear it bumping around on the walls and she could find <laughs> out where I was then. And if I ever heard the theme song, the Sesame Street startup, I would take off down the hall and she would hear the music go, but she would hear the music and then she'd hear that walker going, the stroller rather, going all the way down the hall hitting every wall until I got in there. And when I got to the TV, and I could see Big Bird and Sesame mm-hmm. Street, my vehicle stopped. I didn't move, I sat yeah. there with a bottle in my mouth and just stared at the TV. <laughs> but one of the things that kept me inspired was that my mother gave me some peanut sheets, and it had the characters in little squares, and mm-hmm. the one thing that I remember the most was Lucy Van Pelt saying, I don't care if people like me or not, just so I'm popular.
1: <laughs> That's so funny, I've never heard that joke before. <laughs> At least not told that way. No. So with Sesame Street and, and Peanuts, how did that lead you into doing uh, cartooning? Were you copying uh, those drawings that you saw? Or the did you make puppets because of the, the ones you saw on TV? Or how did, how did that love come around?
0: What happened at some point early on, a pencil got into the crib or crayon. <laughs> I don't remember which one, seriously. And on the head of the crib, there ended up being all of these markings. That was the first drawing I ever did. Wow. Um, but it went from that to where I would just do any shapes with, you know, what I would call a face or anything. I've got a plate at the house still that has my childhood illustrations cooked into it um, that my mom had made. But it just all my life, I've always drawn, I've always sketched, I've always loved that. The Sesame Street, Peanuts, Dennis the Menace, all of those things growing up kind of uh, figured what I was going to do next with the art Mainly because when I wrote out that I wanted to do my own Peanuts comic strips, I got a letter back that said, you can't do that. That's copyrighted. (laughs) Okay. I want to do my own Sesame Street. You can't do that. It's a copyrighted thing. It's owned by somebody else. Muppets are coined by Jim Henson. You can't do that. Fine. I'll create my own thing. So when I was about six years old, I started creating a series of little dogs. The main character was supposed to be a dog named Spike. Not like the one you see in Tom and Jerry and all of these other cartoons. He was named Spike, the big, gruff, strong dog name, but was a dumb, dorky dog that didn't fit at all, a weakling. And through the course of creating these animals, I came up with a new dog character, which I showed to my grandfather January 1st, 1980. And I said, hey, Pop, look at this. Papa Roy looks at the artwork and he goes, oh, well, that's mealy looking, ain't it? And my brain was just blown because I'm sitting and I'm thinking, I thought I drew a dog, but he's a farmer. And if anybody knows what's a mule, he would know. So from January 1st, 1980 until 2000, I had a character that was named Muley the Mule that looked the same, basically, with some changes, droopy ears, long Mm -hmm. tail and all of that. Uh, In 2000, you, uh, Greg Cravens, Marthius Wade, a couple of other people I talked to, uh, actually just you three. That's the only people you know. That's the only people I know. That's the only people that I <laughs> needed to, to tell me this. Yeah, that will talk to me. Everybody else has to be paid. $1.99 for the first minute, <laughs> $0.99 cents right. each additional minute. But that's a different story. Anyways, with some discussion and some changes, and I Mul- underwent a complete overhaul, both in storytelling and his design, the ca- all the characters' designs, um, and the way that I did every single thing with the, uh, the comic strips. Did that answer any of the question?
1: Pretty much. So you're you're basically saying that you learned intellectual property law at a very young age. <laughs> yes. I did. <laughs> and that your your uh your grandpa mistook your dog for a mule. Right. And so, then Muley became yeah. Muley. Well, I think that's the whole story there. That's, that is the whole story. Now that was in
0: nineteen eighty. That means this year Muley is forty years old. He's almost been in publication ever since, even though the very first publications was me drawing and redrawing three- and four-page little folded sheets of paper. I redrew these things over and over again because who knew at that age that there were such a thing as copy machines? I didn't know.
1: I Honestly, I, I don't know if they had those when I was a kid. Did they?
0: <laughs> I think when you were a kid, they had that thing with the big The bibliograph? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Actually, my my first comics I ever had published were published on on one of those because wow. one of my teachers saw me doodling in class like artists tend to do, and she said, "Hey, you know, you, you got your own character," and I'm like, "Well, yes, yes, I do." Had like a superhero character, and she said, "Well, let's run that in the the newsletter that I'm doing because she was doing like a school newsletter, and so I got several issues of my comic in there. I have none to speak of." <laughs> But I just remember that kind of off-blue color for everything. It was kind of interesting. I got mine through the uh, Cadet
0: Child Care Center Day School that I attended before regular school, Mm -hmm. and they would put some of my drawings in there. They weren't very good originally. Eventually they got better, a little better. A little practice. A little practice, a little better. Today I would say, you know, four years later I'd do okay.
1: (laughs) So I know you've got a muley puppet, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously but we never say that in front of him. We never in front of him, and he's he's not here as far as we know. I don't right. think he hitched a ride to the secret location because I had you know I had to blindfold you and, and all that, which was kind of weird since you were driving.
0: That's how I normally drive. I mean, it
1: is Memphis traffic, <laughs> Memphis so anybody's really
0: ever been to Memphis traffic, then they know that that's. It, it's probably better if you do bl-
1: drive blindfolded. Yes, it's less scary. <laughs> So your character that's three dimensional. okay, we can say puppet. You've used him at like Ronald McDonald House events. I've like, you know we we've, we've been on the uh, the local news stations like Channel Thirteen and Channel Three and stuff like that. But did the you know so obviously your comic or your character you know your drawings came first and then your puppet mm-hmm. came later. How much later did, did the puppet come on? Ten and,
0: years. Was it really mm-hmm. ten years? Wow. It was in January, nineteen ninety was when the first puppets were built. And that was out of necessity, because every single time I've tried to animate Muley, I would get so frustrated. And so what I, I discovered, thinking about it, that one of my first loves was Sesame Street, and that there are puppets on there. <laughs> That's what people say they are. I, right. They're real to me. Right. Anyways, I started thinking about it, that if I had puppets, then I don't have to go through each of these individual motions to animate these characters. I can let them be themselves in this performance. And so I took everything from the two-dimensional world into the three-dimensional world when I made the puppets. And, you know, I started looking at what the canon is here. There's the overall Muliverse, and then there's two universes within it where you've got the comics and the puppet universes. You know they're they're highly evolved characters. You know Buford, for example, doesn't go pee on a hydrant, but if there is one open and water spewing out, I will play in the water.
1: So, how many characters do you have in your Mule-iverse? Uh I should know the
0: answer to this, <laughs> and I am sure I probably somewhere in the back of my mind do. So, in the cartoon world, there was that seri- that that period of time as a kid where you just create characters. No necess- you know, Not necessarily any stories, just characters. And I think that there's probably 40-something pages worth of characters, wow. three rows on each page, probably four to six characters on each of those rows. So there's a bunch. Then when they came, when I decided that if I want to be serious about anything going on here, I've got to figure out what the heck I'm doing. And so I narrowed everything down. I said, what characters do I really use? Well, obviously Muley, Buford the Dog, Missy Mule, Roy Duck, Pasha Dog, Burnetta Duck, Calvin Cow, Hector Horse and Dexter Donkey Muley's cousins. You can figure that out later. (laughs) Those were the ones I was using the most, and I said, then these are going to be the core cast of characters. There's really not anything as far as other characters in the cartoon universe that makes their way into the puppet world. Because that would That's, just be more puppets you had to build. It would be more puppets <laughs> I have to build. But in the puppet world, we've got Frankie Steinacher from Transylvegas. Uh We've got the Grim Reaper, who is our resident comedian because he's got a really heart wrenching day job that he just absolutely hates. So he finds joy in doing stand up.
1: Well, at at my funeral, he's more than welcome to, you know, have the open mic night there.
0: Okay, everybody heard that. So when I show up with this death puppet, don't get mad at me.
1: Every now and then, just have him look at somebody and and point. (laughs) Yeah. Look at his watch.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, there there is the walk-around version of that puppet. Right. And, you know, I just put him on like Big Bird, basically, and walk around, and he stands about seven or eight feet tall at that point, and it's hilarious because people are looking up at this, Foam skull, and I'm right in front of their face.
1: Well, I love it when you when you make him about five feet tall, and they get closer, and the closer they get, the taller he gets. (laughs) Yeah, keep looking up. (laughs) I love that. I think it's great. That is fun. Okay, so we were talking about you you building your own puppets and being inspired by Henson. Uh, You actually got to audition for the Muppets out in California. How did that come about, and what was it like? Did you take an extra pair of brown pants, just in case?
0: Yes, I did, as a matter of fact. I invested in some Depends for that (laughs) trip, just in case. And I was a moderator on a Muppet fan forum for several years, and a guy came in one day and made a post that they're actually going to do auditions for the Muppets. It would be overseen by the Jim Henson Company, Sesame Workshop, Walt Disney Company, and also the puppeteering division of the Walt Disney World Company, because this guy actually worked as a part of their, their, their puppet captain at Walt Disney World. So, okay, great, this sounds fine. So he got pulled into this to lead the whole thing. And after a couple of emails back and forth, I decided that, yeah, I'm going to go out to California and do this thing. And I was scared to death. Not mainly because of, not, not because of going out to do the audition and not to go out to do the Muppet thing and all that. That wasn't what scared me. It's just travel. I don't necessarily like traveling, but once I get into it, I'm into it. We get out to California, and there's this uh, agency day auditions versus the open auditions. Before all of this came to pass, couple things happened. First thing was I knew that I needed to be in agency day auditions. So I scheduled things as my own agent to go out (laughs) to be a part of the agency day because that means there's fewer people that you have to be up against. They'll see you better. And before that happened, you were a part of the practice sessions to get out there because as always, we would ride around town coming up with ideas for different things. But in the midst of all of that, we would play karaoke music. I would sing as Muppet characters' voices, and you would tell me a character whose voice I would switch into. Even if I couldn't do that character's voice, I would try. And that was the main point of it. And then there was the, the whole improvisation thing, too, where you would give me a word, and I had to come up with a joke about that word. Right, as Fozzie. As Fozzie, yeah. yes. So we were doing all of that, and finally time came. Flew out, got a chance to do these Muppet auditions. Uh, walk in, I meet and greet everybody. There's big wigs. There's Martin Baker, who was a stage manager on The Muppet Show. There's Kevin Clash, who's Elmo at the time. And there's all these people whose faces I recognize, names I recognize. People from movies that were men in black, that had already worked with the Muppets, that had all these different things. And it was a lot of fun to get a chance to meet and greet these people and to practice puppetry with them and voices and all. And I walk in, I stand in front of everybody, they hand me a script, I start to read the script, and they say, well, you're here for Fozzie, I said, yes, but the difference between Los Angeles Air and Memphis Air was so great that it messed up my sinuses. Mm -hmm. So on an overdose of whatever I could get at the local CVS or Walgreens, whatever it was, but (laughs) I picked up something at at that place so that I could take it before I went into these auditions. And I was groggy as heck going into this. But I walk in. My sinuses are bad. They pull away the Fozzie, and they hand me a script. say, read Kermit the Frog. Huh? Okay. So I started reading for Kermit the Frog. It was an intro from the Muppet Show script. So I do this whole thing, and yay, Mm -hmm. at the end. And they loved it. They're laughing. They're smiling. They like what I I just did with Kermit. Great. And they say, go wait outside for us, please. We're going to use you a little bit later.
1: Okay, so I was, as I turned to walk outside. Usually when people are going to use you, they don't tell you up front. No, no, <laughs> they, they usually don't. So
0: I turned to leave, and that was the moment that I panicked and got really scared because when I opened the door to go in to read in front of all of these people, I didn't notice that behind the door was a table loaded with Muppets, all of them. Kermit, Piggy, Animal, Fozzie, Gonzo, Statler, Waldorf, just all of these Muppets. And I thought, holy crap. So Mm. I walk out this door and I'm sitting there the whole time and I'm thinking, just on the other side of this door are all of these Muppets. I want to play with these characters right now. And they came out a little bit later on. Some people were going home. The rest of us were sitting there and they said, after the lunch break, when you come back, we're going to pair some of you up. See how well you perform together with with the Muppets. Great. That's great. I loved it, right? So I'll go eat a little bit because I'm already nervous now because I'm actually about to meet a Muppet. And um, we come back. They put us in. Here's your script. Go. And we have a monitor in front of us, and we went. We did this thing, and I've got Kermit. I'm performing Kermit the Frog, man, at this audition. And we work back, back and forth together a little bit, and uh, I'm there with Victor Yared who was Tardy Turtle on, yeah. yeah. So we go in there and we're performing together and we had to come up with this whole scenario of Kermit being seen out on the town uh, with a different movie star. Miss Piggy's jealous, Fozzie's asking him, you know, how are you going to get around that? Well, we did this whole thing and they loved it. They thought it was great. But at the end of the day, seven of us we got weeded down to seven, seven of us got weeded down to four, and they kept four people who I think had already worked there before, okay. with them before. So back to Memphis I came, and I've been here ever since. But you, you met um, Earl Cress, out there. Well, you already knew him. I knew Earl Cress from the Muppet Fan Forums. Mm-hmm. The end of the Muppet movie when you see Ernie and Bert amidst the crowd of all the Muppets, he was Ernie at that last final scene of the Muppet movie. Mm-hmm. So his nickname was, was once Ernie. on the fan forum. Just probably one of the most sweet, endearing human beings on the face of the planet who when he laughed, a real laugh, it was gut laugh. It was from deep down inside, a real solid laugh and just the nicest person. One of the nicest people you'll ever meet. He told me on on uh, email that if I came out to the auditions he would pick me up at the airport We'd go by his apartment, we would practice with the monitor and the puppets and everything. I took lead to this as well. And while I'm there and we're practicing in front of the monitor, the telephone rings and he starts making a deal. And while he's talking, I'm walking around and I'm looking on his walls. He's a, got a great collection there of comic pages with scripts and autographs and things. I'm walking around, and I'm looking at the, the pages and I'm thinking, that's great. And over here, he's got some puppet replicas built and on display. And as he hangs up the phone, I'm looking at this display of Emmys. And he hangs up and says, well, what do you think there? And I said, this is great. Like, how much did this put you back? Oh, nothing, really. What do you mean nothing? Like, somebody gave it to you? No, I kind of sort of want it. Hmm? So I looked at the name on it. It says uh, Academy of... Arts and Sciences or whatever yeah. the Emmy Emotion is. Pinker. I don't know. but oh, the Emmy, yeah. Yeah, wherever they come yeah. from. And uh, I've not got one yet, so I don't care. Anyways, his said it was from them to him for having written Pinky and the Brain. And I said, hmm. And I looked at the other award, and it was to Earl Crest from so-and-so for Pinky in the Brain. And I'm looking around, and all of a sudden I'm seeing his name on a whole lot of things. <laughs> and I said, hey, buddy? He says, yeah. I said, so, what do you do for a living? He goes, Well, I write scripts for comics and TV shows and movies. And oh, am I allowed to be here? He says, Yeah, you're my friend, of course. And I said, Great, man, you're my friend too. But remember, we had him out for a convention yeah. that we did here in town.
1: Because he was uh, uh, part he, of the MSCA. Right, yeah, with the Consequential. Yeah. And because uh, I, I didn't realize he had written Looney Tunes Yeah, comics. comics. Yeah,
0: he'd yeah. written comic books. Um, he did. I, I want to think Looney Tunes and Scooby Doo and a mm-hmm. whole
1: bunch of those. Yeah. Um, he had written a cartoon. Have, did for, he do any Simpsons? I can't remember. Cause I remember. I got him. A, I got him to sign a few comics, and I know one of them was like a Bugs Looney Tunes comic for sure.
0: Right. Well, I tried to get him to sign some stuff. He's like, "Well, I did. I didn't write this. i was well, sign it anyways. Nobody's gonna know."
1: And that looks like a bogus check. I'm not signing that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 We're gonna. Uh, switch gears here a little bit and uh, we're going to talk about the Schultz Museum. You actually got to be the, was it cartoonist in residence there? Is that yes. what they called it?
0: Yes, that's what they called it, but that's not what they mean.
1: Okay. It's not <laughs> like they lived there for a long That was the time. joke. That <laughs> yeah. was the joke.
0: So we went out to San Diego Comic-Con to uh, Mall Productions did. I was a part of that. I took the Muley Puppet, um, had some Muley stuff to push as well. Not that I stayed at the table much, but I just couldn't keep my attention focused all the time. So I was,
1: I was guilty of it, too. But luckily, the uh, the Peanuts booth was, like, right across from us. So right. Every day when they came out with the new button, I was, I was there first thing. <laughs>
0: well, see, I never even realized they had new buttons every day at the thing. I just, I just happened to be walking around and looked up and saw that, oh, there's my love. Those are my friends. And so I had to go over there to it. And I walk over... And I'm looking at all of the stuff that they've got out, and I'm thinking, how can I make this affordable? Because Mm -hmm. I wanted to buy things. And so they gave me the free pen, and I was real thankful for it. And so finally I told them that the only reason why I ever got into cartooning anyways, I'm sure, is because of Peanuts. I love, absolutely adore Charles Schultz. Still to this day, I love him so much. But I told the lady that was there at the time, that he was one of my biggest inspirations to create. And she said, so tell me a little bit more about what you do. And I said, well, I've got this little comic strip I do with some puppets on the side, which is basically if Peanuts meets Muppets, take Peanuts and Muppets, put them in a bowl together, mix them up, put them in the oven till half-baked. You got Muley the Mule and Friends. (laughs) And she says that's great. That's great. So really, it has been an inspiration. I said, yes. I said, I've even talked at conventions before how these two things have culminated into what I ended up creating. She said, that would be great. She said, have you ever thought about being a cartoonist in residence? Maybe come out to the museum and be a cartoonist in residence there. And I paused and I looked at her and I gasped with this long, deep breath. And I said, you mean live there? (laughs) And she says, no. Well, she laughed like she thought it was a joke. I meant it. I wanted to live there. (laughs) So I said, she says, no, no, no. You come in. She explained what it meant. And I said, yeah, I can do that. That'd be no problem. She says, great. Here's my card. Call me. So I freak out immediately because now I'm kind of connected to one of my big loves, one of my big inspirations. And so we do some phone calls back and forth. And eventually, April 2008, I made my trip out to California. I am in heaven because everything around me, There's Peanuts statue, there's Peanuts signs, there's Peanuts murals, and all of these things. Charlie Brown, Snoopy, Linus, Lucy, Woodstock, Peppermint Patty, Marcy. All these characters I love are everywhere. The city is full of them. And I am just in geek heaven at this point. I had the opportunity to get in front of their crowd to speak about how Charles Schultz inspired me, even to the point of how much Muley originally looked, in my fashion, like Snoopy. The shape of his head, the droopy ears, the way his feet stood, the way his hands were held. All of these things, and I pointed it out, almost like a forensic scientist <laughs> to this crowd. And then I moved into what he's become, and I talked about that for a little bit. You know, His own character, his own personality his own stories, his friends, all of these things. So how it started with that inspiration and became his own thing, which is the way inspiration works. And I opened the floor to questions. And I sat there and nobody said anything. So I had peanuts, fruit gummy, snacky things. And each of them were in their own little bitty package. And I said, okay, then, nobody's asking questions. First person to raise their hand has to ask a question, but you get some fruit snacks. And this guy in the back raises his hand real quick. So I said, great. I throw him the fruit <laughs> snack. He catches it. He opens it up. He starts eating. He says, so when do we get to talk to Muley? So I shut up. I grabbed the mule. I set him on the table. And the rest of the time was questions to Muley.
1: They didn't even care about me. <laughs> That's great. So how do you think about that? I, I would bribe audience members at panels I was at. I never thought about bringing Muley. <laughs> You know, (laughs) the guy wanted Muley,
0: and nobody was asking me questions until I threw out a candy or the snacks, and then that was the question. When can we talk to Muley? Here he
1: is. Yeah, because I know they have a a hockey rink out there, Mm -hmm. and that's where... Redwood Empire. Yeah, because that's where Sparky used to go and and have his his breakfast and and Mm -hmm. coffee or whatever and used to skate. But tell me about the guest house. Well, the guest
0: house was amazing. It was about... I'd say maybe 50 feet, 100 at most, from the house where Charles Schultz lived. And it was the fact that I really couldn't afford having purchased a house at the time and travel expenses and hotel. They were kind enough to let me stay in the Schultz family guest house at the top of this beautiful mountain with great scenery. There's pictures someplace of this on the internet, I'm sure. Every day you would step outside and just breathe what felt like the most clean air, surprisingly enough for California, but it's true. Mm-hmm. I guess smog and you know the northern part isn't the same in the southern part in Los Angeles, you right know. yeah Santa Rosa smog is, I guess non-existent. because I, I can know.
1: attest to uh, the LA smog, just waking up and oh. you know <laughs> looking out the window and going,
0: oh. So anyway, so I got to stay at the family guest house at the top of a mountain. And, there was yeah. a bench that yeah. was there where he used to go sit and look out over everything and think about what he might create. And I walked over there and sat in that chair, and I cried. I'll tell you, I used to make fun of people who would never knew Elvis Presley, just heard mm-hmm. his music, would go to the Graceland, go to the grave, and stand there and boo-hoo, boo-hoo, boo-hoo. And I quit that in April 2008 because I, had a, I went out to uh, see the grave and visit, and I took a Yellow Rose of Friendship. And even now I get choked up about it, you know, but, you know, I'm standing six feet away from somebody that I absolutely adore and admire that's inspired so much and you can't do anything about it.
1: I think one of my, my favorite art shows we ever did was the tribute show to, oh, gosh, uh, to Schultz. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. I loved building the, uh, the, the psychiatrist booth with you yes. and we had, <laughs> I thought it was great that uh what was the uh the the lady that was that was running uh northwest the art department miss pegram she you know they got us uh root beer Mm -hmm. and chocolate chip cookies Mm -hmm. and all that they they were right in target with exactly everything that's peanuts yeah and she because i remember she brought some of her uh peanut collectibles because we had a little little display in the middle of the room with you know a bunch of our our own peanut collectibles and she brought some of her own, and I thought, I thought that was great.
0: Yeah. I have to say that was probably one of my favorite art shows that we've ever done. And the invitation, you know, what was amazing is mm-hmm. that we, we had talked about different ideas and different things. You came up with this great idea. There was a picture of the Peanuts characters, which later was actually on the wall at the museum, yeah. the same one where the kids are looking at this piece of artwork, yeah. and then over across to the right was Snoopy looking at a picture of a, of a dog,
1: Isn't that that Patrick McDonald's mm -hmm. Mutz? Yeah, Mutz was Mm -hmm. in
0: that, that, exactly. When it came time to create The Invitation, we took that image, you did actually, took the image and replaced one of the characters with Franklin and moved Snoopy, I think, into the shot with Charlie Brown and
1: Linus and Lucy and Sally. Because best I remember, they sent us art of Charles... Laid out across the top of Snoopy's doghouse. Yeah, his self portrait that right. he did, mm-hmm. which I've, um, I've seen self- it at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Cause I remember seeing that at, at It's Ohio on the State. back of Red Grimsley Johnson's book about Good right. Grief.
0: I think it's on the back yeah. of that.
1: And up until then, you always thought, oh, okay, he's sleeping on top of Snoopy's doghouse. Right. And then after he died, it took on a whole, a whole new whole meaning, different meaning. You know, and I, it's it's hard to even look at it now. I mean, right. I love it. But it's you. Know, it's just it's hard. To look at and I remember they wanted us to use that, and we thought, yeah. But it's, we actually we actually I
0: think talked to them on the phone about that.
1: Might have yeah, and uh, said
0: we really kind of don't want to use this picture right now. And here's, and here's why. why yeah. And they said we we didn't think about that because yeah, they'd looked at it for years. Yeah, and it
1: it had a completely different meaning and connotation You're right to it. for so, them versus for yeah. us
0: at that point, you know. Yeah. And, and to r- realize one thing with the Mid South Cartoonists Association art show. That is honoring Charles Schultz's life and career, and we got an approval from Creative Associates for that. We took Sparky's artwork and altered it for this invitation, and they approved it, which is amazing because <laughs> it's <pretty> they shocking. <laughs> don't allow anybody
1: to yeah. change his artwork ever. Now, you know, the closest, I guess, to something like that would be like Paige Braddock. Who I guess but she would be doing new stuff for products and, and whatever right an amazing artist I can watch her draw peanuts
0: characters 24 7 and I can watch people doing art all the time really when you when you see them take this blank canvas and they create something in it which is one of the things I love about art I love that about puppetry I can take a glorified sock put some eyeballs on a sock, and it becomes something totally different, and I bring life to it. I can take something and put it on this blank sheet of paper, and it becomes something, something meaningful. What's a blank sheet of paper to anybody? It's a sheet of paper. You put something on there like artwork, comics, a sketch, and it becomes this whole new thing that becomes alive. And if you do it right, people look at it, and it becomes something that's almost living to them. I mean, you remember out at one of the Ronald McDonald House events, I almost got slugged because somebody saw me throw Muley into his container, his, his carrier. His, his mobile home. <laughs> his mobile home, exactly. I had Muley up for about four hours, talking to people, collecting money for Ronald McDonald House, and they brought out fresh chicken tenders that smelled so good that I needed to go have the fresh chicken, ten, chicken tenders. So I took Muley. And I chunked him over into his box, and he landed comfortably. He was happy. No damage done. Right. But the moment that I did that and just turn around, that there was this woman standing there in front of me, had her finger in my face, how dare you throw him in that box? That muley is alive to us. He's important to us. Why would you do that? I said, going forward, he is third person. I will never refer to him as Puppet. I will never Mm -hmm. refer to him as (laughs) that. I will respect the mule. (laughs) He is alive and living. I will never be seen doing that again.
1: She says, you better not. Well, it's funny because you were talking about, you know, what does a piece of paper mean to somebody? I remember that was like one of the most important things to me if I didn't have paper. I mean, because a blank sheet of paper was basically my playground Mm -hmm. a lot of times. I would go to Papa Roy and Granny Ethel's house, and I found that it was better for me,
0: regardless what family members were there, to be indoors with Papa Roy and Granny Ethel. That's where my heart was. That was my happy place. That's where I liked to be. Growing up in the 70s, we didn't really have a whole lot of paper around. I had pencils. you know. I might have had some crayons once in a while if I didn't eat them, but we did have paper sacks, and I used to draw on those paper sacks. It was, again, going in and having a place to go create. And to build worlds and to build things. and You know, you make your own worlds out of nothing. And people would look at this and they would no longer see a brown paper sack. They would see your story, this thing that you've created. A blank sheet of paper is nothing. But when you put something on it, it becomes a whole new thing for people. I love creating. I do. I love that
1: you love creating. I do. All right. Earlier, you mentioned Maw Productions, mm-hmm. and I know that uh, recently, you, you, very recently, you just finished a mural in downtown Memphis mm-hmm. with the, uh, the Toshigawa team on it, including Muley, who's who's yes. on, on the wall there. So how did these murals uh, come about? Because there were several uh, when we drove by there. There's a group called Paint Memphis, and their entire
0: program was to create community, community of artists, community of people. As a part of that, they invited Mall Productions, Marthias Wade, Janet Wade, myself, to come out and work on this mural, and we've got this great spot at the north end of 2nd Street where they keep the carriages for the the horse carriage rides downtown, and when you're there painting, if the wind was hitting just right, you knew there were also horses nearby. (laughs) So, we did. We followed our noses. We found this corner of the building where we were supposed to be, and it was huge space. Marthia has created this great design so that it would fit around a window grate that they happened to have on the building itself. And it includes, of course, from the Toshigawa stories, ToshigawaUniverse.com characters, Shinobi Ninja Princess, Shandria Toshigawa herself. It includes Kim and Tour, brother and sister, out of those stories. We had a character from the Evolution Comics, which is part of the Hilda Hood Foundation, and Iron Ninja 5, which is a character that he and his son Anakin have created
1: together. Which is the, uh, the new child labor that uh, is at Mall Productions. Right, right. <laughs> yes. Also, he, he actually makes his, like, at conventions, I've seen him doing sketch cards with Janet.
0: Right. She'll draw sketch cards. she passes it to him, and he paints them in. They are spectacular little pieces of artwork. One of my favorite Muley art pieces that somebody Mm -hmm. else has done that was given to me is a collector card of a Chibi, did I say that right? Chibi Chibi. Mm Muley that she drew that he painted in all these different shades of blue, which everybody knows that blue, I absolutely love blue. I could eat it if, if it were a food. I would eat it all the time. But I love blue and it's all in blue colors and just a spectacular little piece of artwork. That's three, what is it? Two and a half
1: by three yeah, inches, something like that, two by three or so, yeah.
0: But it's it's just spectacular. He was a little bitty when they did this too. Oh right, yeah. And he painted this thing in, so that makes it mean even
1: more to me. Well, he was there uh, along with uh, your roommate uh, Marco or DeMarco yeah, if you want to be if you want to be proper, right? Yeah. <laughs> DeMarco Randall, that's right. So they were there painting along with you guys, right?
0: Right. Mm-hmm. It was Marthias and Janet Wade, Anakin. If, if you hear me
1: say? Anton, that is Marthias. That's, that's Anton is his secret identity that most people don't know about. Right. And same thing here.
0: The, the business name versus right. the friend name. Yeah. But uh, Marthias Anton Wade, that's the MAW and Mall Productions. And he works with his wife.
1: Yeah. You know? <laughs> Which is great. I, I love it.
0: Well, it is. And, you know, if we back this up to college. Yeah. He and I were sitting across the table from each other in design class. And sometimes there's something that happens when you know somebody is going to be one of your dearest friends forever. And it happened because of the teacher. Dr. Huang was this, was the teacher's name. And just a great teacher. Super nice guy. I don't even know what's happened to him this 20 some odd years later. And at the end of class, I happened to see some artwork. And I said, oh, hey, is that your artwork? Anton, yes. Great. So he shows it to me, and I read it. I pass him over some muley stuff, and he reads it. And we started just having this conversation, and eventually I ask him, who's editing this for you? And he says, nobody. I said, can I? He says, yes. Great. So I figured I got the red pen. I may as well, so I pulled it out and went to work.
1: (laughs) Not on his original drawings, right? well <laughs> no it wasn't on the original <laughs> drawings but ever since uh
0: then 20 some odd years ago i've yeah. i've been listed as the editor once in a blue moon i've been able to fill in large dark areas on the artwork itself right well but uh, yeah. not often because i smear and splatter and you <laughs> know my art style when i draw is thick yeah. lines and
1: that's that's one of the the things i miss about uh the old days of the msa when we used to hang out on like saturday or sunday mornings at the uh, the old uh, book star yeah and uh, whoever draw. yeah and just draw i would there was a little coffee shop in there and we could draw and they had reference books if we needed right. them, you know but everybody would sit around and bring whatever they were, had been working on lately and a lot of times somebody just needed to fill in blacks on right. on some of the pages so you do that while you're talking and hanging out and it was fun it was oh, great man, I, I, I do miss all of that hopefully um, before too long that'll be something we can get back to I hope so. Um, like I said, I was doing a little bit of that at one of the local comic shops on Wednesday nights. And it was fun when I had people come out, not so much fun when I didn't have people come out. Right. So hopefully, hopefully we'll get back to that. How many How many books are there in the the Jetta series, the Toshigawa series now? Because every time we turn around, you, you guys have got another one coming out. Right. We've got one right
0: on the cusp of popping out there into the world right now. And I'm excited about it, it looks really good, the story's great, it's smooth, uh, just everything flows so good now. Uh, I think originally with the graphic novel series, Jedi Tells of the Toshigao I want to think that we're up to eight of those, eight or nine. But and I will be there's also you the,
1: the princess. Shinobi Short. Ninja Princess. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: She has, gosh, I our, guess it's, yeah. we're on our third, what we call season of it now. If not, we should be. But we've got, we've got a whole lot of reading out there that needs to be done by people. If they're not reading these things yet, they need to get involved with it. Because whether we're looking at the graphic novel series that began 20-some-odd years ago, or we're looking at Shinobi Ninja Princess, it's always strong story, strong art. And with Shinobi Ninja Princess, the great thing about that is that it's all ages. So where we at one time had the grown-up versions of the characters in the graphic novel series, now they're in training. This is everybody but younger. We get to follow along and we get to experience some of the insecurities, the self-confidence issues that all of these kids have that's growing up, which will form their behavior in the future, of course. But we had that opportunity now to kind of develop these stories to lead into where we're going in the future with what we've already created, I guess I should say. What really truly reinforced it actually happening was that Anakin came along, and we can't share the tales of the Toshigawa series with him because it's it's there's some violence, and I even die three or four times throughout the series.
1: Hey, some people just need killing. I, I guess mean, so. Uh, I made a, I actually made an appearance yes. a, in it. Uh, and I, I, the best I remember, I died too.
0: Defiance, <laughs> I think. Yeah, there are several of us. Yeah, that, I think that I have that page. That, yeah. yeah, I yeah. think I've got that, that original oh, page. I'm jealous. I don't yeah. have that. But yes, I've died a couple times. And one time he was steady working on a page as I'm going through and I'm looking at them all. And there's this shot of Terminus, who is our lead bad guy-ish, who is floating above the city. And he's looking down, but he's got this great pose that worked really well with the song... You remind me of the babe from Labyrinth. Dance Magic Dance. I turned the page around and said, Anton. He looks at me and says, What? And I took the page and I had him and goes, You remind me of the babe. What babe? The babe with the power. What power? Power of who Hoodoo. You do. Do what remind me of the babe. And Anton looked at me for a second. He goes, You finna die right now. And he went to drawing on that page, and sure enough, I was the character that died. That
1: was great. <laughs>
0: well <laughs>
1: Okay, well, I promise I won't kill you in this interview. We're going to talk about something good. You mentioned earlier about uh, the, the Paint Memphis and the Heal the Hood uh, Foundation. What what exactly is Heal the Hood, and how did Mall Productions and, and yourself get involved with that, and what are you doing to help Heal the Hood? So, Heal the Hood Foundation was founded by Liddell Beeman,
0: who Anton, sorry, Martheus, knew... <laughs> way before he knew any of the rest of us that's in his world right now. And they've been working together perfectly all along since Hill the Hood Foundation came up. One of the things that Liddell has mentioned in the past that I thought was the most spectacular definition of hood is childhood, brotherhood, sisterhood, fatherhood, parenthood. All of these hoods need healing. There's so much out there where the world is broken. And if you, if you look at the way that kids are raised in a lot of areas, they don't have access to creative outlets. A lot of things could happen. Heal the Hood has come together with schools. They do programming. Uh, Muley and Roy Duck got a chance to be a part of one of their concerts, which was a blast. So what they're doing is that they're creating this really great positive outlet. It's the Hero Empowerment Center, and it allows these kids to come in to learn how to do music production, cut CDs, write music. They learn martial arts. They learn learn comics through the comic studio that, that Marthias teaches. They learn all of these great things. And they find that there are ways that you can express yourself in a way that doesn't hurt you and doesn't hurt other people. You have power over your future, and you can make yourself. Be somebody that's not what they expect you to do. They teach kids that they are good enough, that they're special, that they're smart. Oh, I love what the Hill Hood Foundation does. These kids can come in there and create something. You look at that mural we painted, the days that we worked on that, and all the different types of people who stopped to walk over to talk to us, to see it, to look at it, that was amazing. Everything that Paint Memphis wanted to do, that Mall Productions wanted to do, that Hill the Hood Foundation wanted to do, all of these things were happening. It all culminated in this gigantic wall, which, by the way, I will never, ever go that high on a ladder or scaffolding
1: again. I I understand. I did it. I ain't doing it no more. <laughs> well, I'm going, I'm going to. Uh, I'll post some pictures on the MSCA Facebook page. Uh, I've got a uh, art out in the wild photo album, so mm-hmm. we'll have we'll have pictures there. And we also today, uh, before we did this recording, uh, Kevin took me by to see the mural, and then we drove around town and then checked out some other uh, murals. And we actually saw a couple that were like kind of still in progress. And mm-hmm. there was actually one guy that was there painting, so we got to watch him paint for a little bit. I really enjoyed that. I do love watching these people paint and work. Better them on the scaffolding than (laughs) us. Yes, always.
0: Well, I think he had a cherry picker, though, so he was doing really good.
1: (laughs) All right, so we talked about building community and how it's, it's very important, and I wish that when I was a kid, we would have had something like the, you know, the Mid South Cartoon Association. Mm-hmm. I wish I would have had friends that liked comics. I wish I would have had friends that actually drew. I didn't know yes. anybody like that until after high school, exactly. you know, and that's when I, I met like Greg Cravens and A.G. Howard and uh, these guys that kind of you know, uh, Greg introduced me to the uh, Mid South Cartoon Association and invited me out to his apartment for one of the dinner meetings they had. I was like. Really, I, I I'm not a cartoonist. And he goes, "What are you talking about? I see draw cartoons all the time." I go, "Yeah, but I'm not like professional or anything. You know, I, I goof around with it." And He goes, "Well, that's what everybody does. We mm-hmm. all goof around. Just some some of us get paid to do it. And some don't, <laughs> yeah. you know." Because he was trying to break into being a, a full time cartoonist at the time. We were just okay, like this had to be a long time ago. Oh, this was in the it was like probably about a year or two after the association started. So like late '80s. Wow. and we were both airbrushing at the uh, the malls uh, south of the mall and southbrook mall but i went i had a great time met a lot of people like i said i was a little nervous i was a baby but actually in 88 uh, i was 16 i think Oh, okay so, that, so I wasn't that, a baby. you went that that no. well how did how did you find out about the mid south cartoon association it was on a bathroom wall at the exxon <laughs> and i was definitely don't call in for a good time <laughs>
0: I learned about the Cartoonists Association through Marthias. as a matter of fact. He was talking with somebody else uh, about it, and they said that there's this group that meets at an uh, architectural firm. And, yeah,
1: Eskew, uh, Nixon, Ferguson.
0: Yep, that's it, because that was where the first art show I participated in was held. I think that was one of our biggest we've had. I think so. He said, Hey, there's this cartoonist association. Do you want to go? And I said, Yeah, sure, great, let's go. So we jumped in and we rode over there and we sat in the center seats and watched all of the proceedings and it was actually right after Superman celebration. The right. first meeting was you and Dave talking about your trip
1: to Superman celebration. Yeah. I remember you guys fell asleep in, in the center seats. Twice. Twice. <laughs> I don't know why we were so just monotone and very, very... It was. It was hilarious. I didn't want to mention it, but yes, it was. So yes, we got to Superman
0: Celebration in Metropolis, Illinois, and there were some movie stars there and people dressed in costume, and it was great. We had such a good time. And I said, I'll never (laughs) go. They are bored. I will not go there. I've only missed twice.
1: One of them was for Anton's wedding, right? Yes.
0: (laughs) I was glad to be at that wedding and be a part of it. I got a nephew out of
1: there. There you go. And I love my nephew, Anakin. It's just awesome. So if you if you guys were basically snoozing in the back row, what made you decide to come back and be a part of the group? It was after you guys stopped talking that... <laughs>
0: <laughs> so after you guys had stopped talking and everybody was mingling, I think it was the moment afterwards that you were cornered by a guy who was telling you his whole story from the dawn of time for his character, for which he had no art. I kept watching and looking in that direction, and I felt so, so sorry for you. So I walked over and said, pardon me, Lynn, someone over here needs to talk to you. Can you come now? And we walked in that direction.
1: I think that was the meeting where I saved you. I think that's when we became friends. <laughs> Lifelong friends, it, yes. Because if you don't know what an elevator pitch is, find out. Because you don't want to tell somebody your entire story. You want them to read it. You don't want them to stand there for the next half hour, hour, days. Exactly. Listening to the story. Uh, a bad pitch starts with in the beginning. A good pitch is,
0: well, it's like taking Muppets and peanuts and putting them in a bowl, mixed together, and the o- stick them in the oven until half baked. And you got me meal in France because now you know
1: kind of what you're getting into. Right. If you can make it a sentence or two, it's basically you want to do a, to where if you're going from one floor to the next in an elevator, you could tell somebody what your project's about. Exactly. So I, I, I learned to appreciate that then. So after that, was the, the art show your next thing with it or did you come to another no, meeting? I came
0: to a couple of other meetings before that happened. Both of us did, as a matter of fact, and we started meeting other members of the association. I thought it was the greatest thing ever because there was everybody was as weird as me <laughs> and I loved it. I loved the conversations. I loved hearing what people were saying. I loved looking at the artwork when we get together as a group. Our community of cartoon artists and the enthusiasts that we have that show up, the collectors that we have that show up, the writers that show up. There's such a great energy that just feeds you a Buffet of inspiration that you have to leave it and go home to create right then, which is usually about nine ten or eleven, 11 o'clock <laughs> sometimes midnight and you go home and you realize I have all this energy and I want to create, but I have got to go to bed because I work tomorrow.
1: Well, it depends on the temperature outside and how many trains go by at uh, Southern and Highland when we're leaving the pizza place. So. You know in
0: actuality, I think we've been outside in misty, cold weather. In the winter time, and talked until about midnight or after. I think that I think only that's the important. strong
1: survive. <laughs> only the strong survive. It's one of the things you you, you get into because we used to we'd see each other all the time, mm-hmm. and now it's it's maybe once a month, right? You know, maybe every other month, right? So when we do get together and you get to talk tunes, it's great. You kind of longed for it, and you're like, but I've still got to make that
0: drive home, right? <laughs> And even so, I'm downtown. This happens in the middle part of the city. I'm still okay with staying out there till 1 o'clock talking because this is communication with friends. We're talking about things we all love, something that we just feel so strongly about. We help each other with ideas to create. That was the other thing that drew me back to the association as well in the early days was that everybody would talk. They would talk about creating. They would talk about how they create. They would talk about their tools and how they made these tools work on this blank piece of paper to create this thing that they were making. And I would watch people draw, and I'd see the different lines. I'd see the different things they would do. It was it was just amazing to me, it was inspirational and mm-hmm. and celebrational and my yeah. off. So I I had to come back for more, and that's when mm-hmm. I did. And then there was the art show. Mm-hmm. My hometown newspaper in Holly Springs, Mississippi, came up to interview me and Muley. It gave me a feeling of a community that wasn't existent in my life before. You know, I could sit and talk with Martheus for hours on end. He was really my only other person that I had for community at that point. So as time wore on, you and I would visit, and I think that the one thing that made me laugh the hardest was when you looked at me and said, hey, you want to come over and see
1: my bad cave? And I looked... Believe it or not, that's not how
0: I I landed my wife. (laughs) And I looked to the side at somebody else with a look on my face, thinking, does this mean what I think it means, or does he actually have a bat cave? And they said, you really should go see the bat cave. It's cool. And I said, well, okay. So I went over to your house to see the bat cave. It was fun to go in to see somebody else's collection, and that let me know that, yes, these people definitely are as weird as I am. Because <laughs> I don't remember... That wasn't the first time I met you, though.
1: Oh, that's right. At a haunted attraction, right.
0: I went to see... I forgot what group did it, but you were there as yeah, Beetlejuice. The, yeah, it was the And Memphis, I showed up yeah. in a Beetlejuice costume. Okay. And so we both were Beetlejuice at the same time, but mine stunk. <laughs> Yours was awesome. You were doing the voice I and I just everything. watched it. Exactly. <laughs> and I... Walked through your room and I looked over and said, hey, I went to that event. I saw that Beetlejuice guy. And you say, well, that Beetlejuice guy is me. And I looked around I said, cool. That was (laughs) cool. So I saw that. By the way, I have a Ghostbusters outfit. You do? I do. So after that, I think, was when we had a chance to hang out and do a couple things where I was a Ghostbuster and you were Beetlejuice. And I think the story was that I had released you... For Halloween or whatever it was. Yeah. So we came up with some little thing. You
1: yeah. we were doing the, the Beetle Buster Blues.
0: That came about a little bit later on, yeah. yes. That was with a haunted attraction that was held in Overton Square. Yeah,
1: Nightmares on the Square. Yeah.
0: Nightmares on the Square. I think you and I talked then and said, look, we both like Blues Brothers, and we both like Beetlejuice. We both like Ghostbusters. Why don't we mix this whole thing up together and
1: call it Beetlebuster Blues? I think it was. I think it was the the haunt first, and then the convention. Because we did Cause, a whole concert yeah. on the balcony uh, oh, for the whole crowd. I don't know what scared me worse. Okay was when we were at the Mid-South Con doing the the Beetle Buster Blues on that stage. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. my God. And that whole stage started shifting as we were doing the dance. Yes. I don't know if that scared uh. me more or when we were at the uh, Oscar Night America and we got up on stage and we looked down and Isaac Hayes was sitting... Dead center at his, his, center. his, his table because he's got his own table. Did we
0: do Beetle Buster Blues for that first or was it the that Memphis was, Blues Brothers?
1: That was, that was first and then Memphis Blues Brothers was second because we did Soul Man there right. because he wrote Soul Man. He right. wrote Soul Man. So we're sitting there doing this in front of Isaac Hayes, the guy who wrote the freaking song. I just remember getting off stage and and we walked past him and we go, you know, I hope you're not gonna sue or anything. He goes, oh no, man, middle man, you were good, man. Y'all be good, (laughs) (laughs) chilling. Yeah, that was awesome.
0: (laughs) So Memphis Blues Brothers, we we did our traveling around. We We did our thing.
1: My favorite as being the, the Memphis Blues Brothers, was when we were at the Superman Celebration and we performed before the fan films. Yes. Because uh, we did, you know, I'm a Superman. Da-da-da-da-da-da. And then after that, we went walking down the street, down Market <laughs> Street <laughs> in Metropolis, to go see the, the, uh, the theater there and get our picture made in front of the theater. Right. There's the old Massic Theater. The com I think, is, is the website for it. But the the guy that was standing out there by, like, the corndog stand as we walked by, and he goes, hey! Blues Brothers. And I go, nope, we're a couple of Mormon missionaries. Without missing a stride, you go, somebody stole our bikes. <laughs> and, and he goes, oh, bummer. And I was so glad that we had walked past him because I could not keep the straight face anymore. That's uh, great. My, my mom was in town for that one, as a matter of fact. Yeah. And she said that one of the things
0: she thought was funniest was when we were walking down the street, they were walking behind us. And they saw when we got close to where the Metropolis police were coming toward us, and we took our hats off the top of our <laughs> head and blocked our faces away from yeah. Yeah. the police as they were coming to us. You and got to stay in character, man. you got to stay in character. Absolutely. I mean, well, that's why it's called cosplay. You're in a costume. You're playing this character. Otherwise, you're just dressing up. It's like, cosplay is fun. I think it's a lot of great fun. I'm putting the band back together.
1: You got the money you owe me, mother... <laughs> With the MSCA, we had a lot of momentum, you know, going into 2020, and then just, the pandemic put the brakes on everything. Yes. So since then, you know, we've we tried doing a Zoom call, and I know uh, as we record this, we'll have a Zoom call tomorrow night. Uh, we're doing this podcast. Uh, we're resurrecting the, the website. Thank you for all of that. Uh, thank you, Nikki. What do you look forward to getting back to in hopefully 2021? What I really look forward to the opportunity to do is get back in person
0: with people. I miss seeing folks. I miss being two feet from them while they're talking with pizza breath and beer breath. Mm -hmm. Not really the breath part, but I just miss that
1: togetherness. What else do you see us doing as a group or can we do as a group virtually? I've tried to think of ways how can we
0: maintain this community amongst our members while keeping everybody safe. Well, there was an event that I tried to put together once uh, back in June, May or June, I think, where we could get together outside and sit across from each other and all. But the numbers began to spike in the city of Memphis. And for the safety of the people in our association, I said, no, we can't do that. I think that started to lead into the thought later about maybe let's use the Zoom calls, let's use something digital so that we can get together again and participate somehow together, even though it's just digitally, but somehow together. You know, we've got some great members, we've got great ideas. Right now we're doing the zines. Well, had it right. not been for Del Martin being a part of the Zine Fest that we went to one day, we wouldn't have had any idea about it because I didn't know about zines until he
1: went to that zine fest. Yeah, and and we great, both went. The great thing about the zines is that everybody could submit their work over the internet. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. He's he's
0: introduced us to something that I think has kept us well connected, that we can still pitch in together. We can still do this kind of community effort thing. And create. And that's also building an acknowledgement of the Mid-South Cartoonists Association in this period of time when people aren't able to get together the way that we were before. But at one point, I think we had, what, 30,
1: 40 people showing up? It was standing room only, in a, in a huge conference room at Askew Nexon. Yes, and then uh, the same with the uh, the the pizza place, the Garibaldi's Pizza, where we've been eating. we were meeting. Delicious pizza. Yeah. Well, I missed I missed that. I missed the sweet tea. What was funny is when we went back to having our meetings again kind of moved them around to different places so that, you know, everybody had a kind of a chance to come to a, a dinner meeting, you know, with a couple of different pyros, mm-hmm. you know, across town. So that way, you know, it's, if it was closer for you this time, maybe you could make it. We tried different times, mm-hmm. Saturdays, and, you know, whatever would, would work because not everybody could make it to the, the first Thursday of the month. And I remember we started going back first Thursday at, at Garibaldi's, and there's a few people that were there when I got there. And I was like, I don't recognize these people. Okay. And then more people started coming in. I'm like, yeah, I don't recognize them either. And then a few uh, people that I did recognize started showing up. And then I I realized, oh, there's a gamer group that's meeting on the same night. It slowly got to where there wasn't enough room for both groups to be in the same big dining room. And so we ended up going to the other side, and that's when... Well, I asked people. I didn't just decide it. I, I wanted to make sure because some people
0: couldn't make the Thursday nights. And I thought, well, why not Tuesday? I felt that by moving it to Tuesday night, we could get the big room back. We were able to spread out artwork and things that way. Heck, we've bound some of the zines there at Garibaldi's Pizza.
1: We've had folks like Jason, <laughs> bring, you know, bring boxes of comics and and trades. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> go, y'all, y'all, some of y'all take this, you know. And Jack Chapman did the same thing at the drawing nights we were doing at at Michaels. At the, yeah, at the, at the art store. Yeah, yeah. The, this classroom there. He brought in just tons of art books that he's like, Yeah, I, I don't have room for these. Anymore. Anybody want these? And it was a shopping cart full. He had to go an absolute a, shopping it was, cart. Yeah, it was, it was he had great. to take a shopping cart
0: to his car and bring it back. That was amazing. So you know, just that part of things with the association being connected, that connectedness. Mm-hmm. I love that. What I, I'm looking forward to is just that we can all get back together again that okay. way. I think that we all needed it. I think we all gained something from that energy and inspiration, I feel that it was better for the artist community as a whole that we were there together. What I'm doing now, thanks to Kevin Thorne, we're going to have a nice Zoom meeting so we can visit together and talk about comics and hopefully share some ideas, see what people are doing. I may call on people and point them out and say, hey, what are you working on? What are your thoughts? Have you got questions? Anything anybody can help you with? Just to see what we can do there. We've been going strong since 1987, and we've had some up times, we've had some down times. But yeah. overall, it's, it's one of the longest-running associations of cartoon-themed
1: interest that has got to continue. I think one of the things I liked about it, too, is even in our slow times when we've only had just a couple people show up to a meeting, it's that camaraderie, it's that talking the shop and, and sharing ideas and sharing techniques and learning and stuff like that that's been super important. What have you got coming up, or what have you been working on? Nothing. Okay. Thank you,
0: and good night. So, Muley has been doing a series of videos lately, because we all know that reading is fundamental, as they say. Basically, if if, if, they're, if reading's fundamental, reading's fun, but Muley's mental, it goes together, <laughs> don't it? But one of the great things about reading is that it, when you're a kid, it opens up your mind. It helps you to develop critical thinking. It helps you to develop imagination helps you in so many different ways to develop. But I think that being able to use Muley and do this series of Muli reads, which I mentioned earlier, is a good thing for the kids because and even adults. I've had grown-ups saying, oh, I love this it's so much fun. We are doing a series of my favorite stories that Muley's reading. A lot of it from when I was a kid, I'm trying to get some of the old books I had from as a kid out of storage. He's a little bit sarcastic with it too, because they're old books, and there's some characters that are just horrible. Goldilocks, what a witch! So <laughs> breaking eating, and
1: entering, eating other people's food, food breaking yeah. their
0: furniture, yeah. and then sleeping in their beds. Yeah.
1: It sounds like Florida Man today was caught. Goldilocks so, was Florida Man before Florida Man. <laughs> she
0: was. I mean, just a horrible human.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: We've got Muley Reads. That's an important thing to me. There's Litterbugs Coming Every Size, one of my favorite books when I was a kid. That was the very first book that we did. And it's going on. This month, or last month, we talked about a story of Ron McNair, a pilot that became a NASA astronaut and physicist who perished on the Challenger. But he had a great story to tell, and that was part of the book. This month, we're talking about Aurora of a Snore and Where the Wild Things Are. I see. That's one of my favorites as a kid. Closer yeah, to standard Halloween. Adult too, yeah. and watch Watch MuleyTheMule.com because that's where these are coming up. There's also the kids' messages through First Congregational Church once a month. He speaks to the entire congregation. Right now it's all on Zoom. It's kind of hard to do because I don't get to hear the laughs, so I don't know if the jokes are landing or not.
1: <laughs> but you never knew when you were live, anyway. That's true. <laughs> it's funny how quiet...
0: <laughs> Laughter can be sometimes. But hopefully keep, the keep joke's land, yourself that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh-huh. <laughs> you can find these and more at Muley M U L E Y Themule.com. I put some fan things, fandom stuff over on Kevin I can say that you can see some of my work over at ToshigawaUniverse.com. That's T-O-S-H-I-G-A-W-A-Universe.com. Mm-hmm. And to see what DeMarco is up to, you can see that at DeMarcoArts, D-A-M-A-R-C-O-Arts.com.
1: Yeah, because he uh, he actually teaches from time to time.
0: He has, yes. Well, yeah. I'd like to get him on video doing that. I think that yeah. would be a lot of fun. Yeah. People could just follow along at home. Maybe get him to put his Bob Ross costume on. I was going to say, I've got a Bob Ross wig if He, to borrow he actually did. His very first class, uh-huh. uh, he dressed as Bob Ross, and it was for his birthday party. That's what he wanted yeah. to do, was to teach a painting party. There was a little bingo card, so every time he said certain things, let's put a little happy tree over here. You checked good. happy tree. <laughs> and whoever got bingo won the yeah. painting, he did. It was cool.
1: That's really fun. He does fun. some
0: cool stuff. Really good art. He's one of those artists that can put his mind to it and
1: create anything.
0: And I'm so jealous, but I wouldn't <laughs> take it away from him for
1: anything in the world. Oh, and
0: MemphisGhostbusters.com.
1: Thanks, man. You're one of my oldest friends, and I don't just mean that age-wise. And <laughs> <laughs> You also. We've had a lot of good time. whether riding around, coming up with ideas, doing Muppet voices, singing the
0: blues, busting ghosts, or being one. That's right. <laughs> I hope it's not terribly boring.
1: Funny is an MSA podcast. You can find out more about the Mid-South Cartoonists Association at midsouthcartoonists.org and on the MSCA Facebook page. Be sure to like that page and follow our group on Twitter at MSCA underscore Memphis and on Instagram at MidSouth You can keep up with this show at any of those or on the show's site drawingfunny.com as well as on Twitter at drawingfunny1 Drawing funny with the number one, or Instagram at drawingfunnypod. Links and other info can be found in the show notes of each episode at drawingfunny.com. Shameless plug for me: I have my Lynn Workman—that's l i n workman.com—art site, and my geek travel blog and webcomic havegeekwilltravel.com. My social media info and bio are on all those sites, along with several examples of my artwork. Thanks for listening. I hope to talk tunes with you all again real soon. Until then, stay tuned and keep drawing funny.